y'all every day. Um, I just want to thank y'all for the encouragement y'all been through the years. Amen. The Lord's good. We're just plugging away out there, trying to stay faithful. Um, pray for the trip that's coming up. We're working on the church's boat. Um, I wanted to get a cabin put on it so that when we haul kids about two hours away by boat to a church youth camp, they're not in the rain and sometimes sleet and even snow. Um, that's coming along well. We're almost done with that. My two brothers came up from Florida and been helping me. Brother Chasey Tuttle's been helping me. A man from uh, down in Washington, Brandon Lanning, has been helping me. It's just been a big blessing, all the help we've gotten for that. Uh, we're almost done. We're going to, Lord willing, on Wednesday go up to Nanana and put the boat in the water and head down to Tannin on then the Yukon River, about 850 miles so pray for safety for that. Uh, it's cheaper to drive it down than barge it down. And we hope to stop at all the villages along the way. And we can't go in because of the coronavirus restrictions in the villages. But we're going to anchor off the bank and preach from the boat. So pray that that goes well. Uh, pray that souls get saved. And uh, pray that we're you know, not ate by a bear or something like that. We, I, you know, I, I have had a few run-ins with bears this year. And I came away unscathed. The Lord's good like that. Amen. Well, let's get into the Word of God. I, I, uh, I've been praying about what to preach if different churches asked me to preach when I went to the road system. And this is the message that the Lord put on my heart for this church. Uh, the book of Acts in chapter 8. And if you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts in chapter 8. Alright, let's go back to chapter 7 and verse 54. The book of Acts, chapter 7. And verse 54. When you get there, say amen. amen. Okay, not enough people are there. We're going to have to wait a little bit longer. All right. Okay, if you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, there we go. Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Let's go to verse chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray for this message that you would bless it here tonight. You put it on my heart to preach it. I pray, dear Lord, that uh, the lost people here would see the gospel preached in this message and accept you as their Savior for forgiveness of sins. I pray for those that are saved here tonight, dear Lord, that they would surrender to you their lives for service, dear Lord, and not just with their uh, uh, physical body, but with their soul, dear Lord. They put their heart into what you want them to do with their life. In your name, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We see here this man named Saul, and I'd like to preach today on Saul's surrenders. And I have preached this once here. It's been about four years ago, I think. And this, the, the Lord put it on my heart to preach it again. Uh, used to, when I was a young preacher, I used to, for some reason, Pastor, I used to think it was a sin to preach a message more than once anywhere. 
It didn't matter where. Just more than once was a sin. It was a great thing. And then the Lord hit me upside the head one day and said, It's my message. You're the messenger, boy. You better do what I tell you to. So, amen. Some of y'all must not have gotten it. You want me to start naming names? Amen. So, the Lord put it on my heart. We're going to preach it again. Saul surrenders. We see right here that he is surrendering his self and his soul to Satan for sin. This man named Saul, he was a Pharisee. He was well up in the ranks of the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees, they would get money uh, tricking widows out of their land and things like that. Uh, It was a very rich position if they chose to use it to their gain. And many of them did. And the Apostle Paul... He also, in his testimony and other books, alluded to that fact. Right here, he's consenting to put to death another man. Why would he do such a thing if he really was a scholar? If he really was someone who was learned in the Scriptures? He could look at this man, and he just got through preaching, Stephen did in in chapter 7. He could hear that message. And yet he chose to reject it through disbelief at this time. There's a man out in the village. I'm not going to tell you his name. You might meet him one day. He comes over when he gets drunk and he's tried to kick our door in, threatened to rape my wife and kids. You see, sin comes in many different forms. But you're selling yourself. And people don't realize, you know, they might think, oh, you know, I'm doing this sin, it's going to affect me physically. They forget about the spiritual consequences of it. They think, well, I'll get out of it one day. I'll, I'll, I'll go to this program and I'll go to Reformers Unanimous. But we forget about the people like Saul. The self-righteous people, you know, they dress right, they talk right, they walk right. And we forget that sin comes in many forms. If you've never had your sins forgiven... By God, if you've never realized that His Son, Jesus Christ, had to come down from heaven, die for your sins on a cross, go to hell in your place, suffer for your sins in your place, and then He arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. If you've never realized that fact, you're a sinner. No matter if you're a drunk on the street, or someone sitting here today dressed up really nice like the Pharisees used to dress up like. You're surrendering yourself and your soul, to Satan for sin. There's another man in the village. He's raped many girls and women. And this was weighing heavily on me. It was something that was burdening me down. I called pastor up and talked to him about it. I, I talked to several other older preachers. Um, called my uh, uh, two former pastors down in Florida and talked to them about it. Uh, preacher Roach as well, and, and their counsel was all the same. We're going to pray for him and go witness to him one more time. And we're going to pray that if he doesn't get saved, that God will take him out of that village and get him out of there. And I went and I talked to him, and we're standing there in his yard, and I'm, I'm talking to him. I've given my testimony of salvation, and I explained the gospel to him. And you could just see in his eyes, he was not going to receive it. His heart was hardened. He decided from pretty much the time I got there, he was going to say no. 
His sin cost him. He did get taken out of the village. You see, if you don't quit surrendering yourself to sin, the season of sin will pass. The consequences of your sin will come, both physical and spiritual. Your time of freedom in this world, where you have a free will to choose whether you accept Christ as your Savior or you will reject Him through disbelief, it will come to an end. And you will be in hell in an instant. If you're not saved here tonight, if you're surrendering yourself and your soul to Satan for sin, I encourage you, stop. Let's go on. Let's move on. Let's go to chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 1. We see this man Saul yet again. I'm trying to stay behind the pulpit. Amen. I know that y'all put the preaching messages out on the internet now. The book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick... Against the pricks. We see this man saw here yet again. He's on his he's right in the middle of sinning, surrendering himself to Satan for sin. And God, in his mercy and grace, comes down and speaks to him. If you're lost here today, God in his mercy and grace, he'll speak to your heart with his Holy Spirit. He'll woo you, he'll draw you with his goodness. The goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. This man Saul was faced with the decision. Who art thou, Lord? In verse 5. And the Lord, with a capital L, said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know, God will reveal himself to you if you're lost. If you're in here today, and you understand that you're a sinner, you understand that Jesus Christ, his son, died for your sins. His Holy Spirit will come and deal with you and pull at your heartstrings. And you will have a choice just like Paul. Will you accept him as your Lord by faith? Remember, this, this man Paul, just a, two chapters before, he was killing people for this. He was willing to be the witness, to stone them to death. If he wouldn't have been the, agreed to be the witness... They might not have stoned Stephen. They might have had to find someone else. There's no one else. Okay, well, we just won't do it today. This man right now is looking for Christians, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. And yet here he is. You see, if you wait to stop your sinning to get saved, it'll be too late. God is dealing with you right where you're at today. In verse 6, and he said, trembling... And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He acknowledged that Jesus Christ was the Lord, with a capital L. If you're here today, I encourage you, by faith, 
as it says in the book of Romans, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I encourage you today to get saved. Quit surrendering yourself to Satan for sin and surrender your soul to the Savior for salvation. I love to see people get saved. There's a man out in the village. And again, I'm not going to tell you his name. He'll tell you if, he, if you ever come out there and visit. He loves to give his testimony. He grew up there in St. Mary's. He was 12 years old. And... The Catholic priest asked him to become an altar boy. So he went to be trained, and the Catholic priest raped him. And he said, I'll never go back to church. I'll never trust another preacher. We moved there. For a while, we were uptown. Every village, they have an uptown and downtown. Downtown is the old village. It's near the river before they got Hondas and trucks and things. They had to be near the river. That's where their boats were and everything. And then there's uptown. When the government funding started coming in the 80s and such, they would build up on the hills, usually away from the river. We lived uptown in an apartment for about a year and started the church there in our living room. And then we moved downtown when we found a piece of property that was legal for the church to buy. And it's maybe 150 yards from this man's house. And I'd bump into him. The, the post office is right next door to us. Everybody comes to the post office to get their groceries they ordered a, a, a month ago through the mail or parts for their boat. Everything comes there. So you go there once a day, and if you're expecting something for a month and you're impatient, maybe two or three times a day. So I'd bump into him and invite him for coffee. Well, that's what the priest used to do to little boys in the village. I didn't know that. So he'd watch me. He'd sit there and watch me from his window in his house and see if I was ever in the church alone with women and kids. And then an elder preacher came out from North Carolina. And he couldn't get used to our time change, four hours difference. So he'd get up early in the morning and he'd go walking around the village. And he bumped into this man from the village and started witnessing to him. And the man invited him into his house and... He spits tobacco juice on his floor and all kinds of stuff like that. But this, this preacher from North Carolina went in. Every morning he went by that man's house and witnessed to him and loved on him and just prayed with him and cried with him. And right before that elderly preacher went home, that man got saved. We see here this old fisherman, Krusty. He, he comes to church and you know, I like to pick on people. If you've ever been around me for any length of time, and I get to know you a little bit where I'm comfortable around you, I'll pick on you. Well, I'll pick on him, and he tries to think of a comeback that doesn't include a cuss word in it. And he's, he'll say this, no comment, preacher. <laughs> it's exciting to me to see people get saved and grow in the Lord. See them surrender their souls to the Savior for salvation. But what about after that? Let, let's shift gears to save people now. Let's get down to where the rubber meets the road for those of us that are saved here today. Let's go to Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, 
Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. And we're going to notice those two words, the Spirit and the flesh, a lot that were mentioned first in verse 3. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. This man, Paul, he's, he's, he's getting down to a struggle that a lot of Christians have. We can trust in God, or we can trust in ourselves. The Bible says, circumcised the eighth day. That's a cutting away of the flesh. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, who he is after, after the flesh, his fleshly lineage. In Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, this is something you perform with your body. You keep the law, you keep your body in check. A Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, that's self-righteousness, blameless. But what things were gained to me his flesh, those I counted lost for Christ. We're getting to something spiritual now. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, fleshly things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, self-righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And we'll stop right there. We see here something that Paul figured out, evidently fairly soon after salvation, was he needed to surrender his self to the Savior for service. He needed to quit relying on his self and start relying on God to work through him. And we see... Uh, illustration in that same man that got saved in St. Mary's. You know, he's, he's a bachelor, he's on up in age, and what could he do? What could he do? He comes over to the church when he sees me working. Anytime he sees me working and he goes by on his little Honda, he'll hit the brakes, back up. You need some help, Brother Israel? And he'll help me. And he's invited people to church, and they've came. He does more than most Christians who've been saved for a long time that I've met. You would be surprised how many people come to church their whole lives and how little they witness to people. How little they help out in projects like at the camp. This man is a bigger blessing to me than most people who are in a better, I guess, physical state than him. Who are in a better spiritual state. They've been saved longer. They've heard more Bible preaching and yet, he's getting down that he needs to surrender his self to the Savior for service. He used to go out and drink and carouse around. And instead of doing that, he's getting his self under control. And he's surrendering to God. When God says, go stop by and pray with Brother Israel, he'll stop by for coffee. If he sees my light on and it's one o'clock in the morning, he'll come in and knock on the door. Let's pray, preacher. He's a great encouragement to me. We can relate this to our lives and what we're comfortable with and what we're not comfortable with serving God. 
You know, I was comfortable with Florida. I grew up in a house built in, I think it was 1905 that house was built in. It doesn't have any insulation. didn't have air condition. Uh, I was comfortable with that. That's how I grew up. And then God starts drawing me up to Alaska. I'm like, Lord, that's cold up there. You don't know, Lord, I don't like the cold. When I lived in Florida, they can tell you, I used to dress up in old army surplus gear that was made for Alaska. That's what I wore in Florida during the wintertime. I didn't like it cold. It was outside of my comfort zone. I said, Lord, there's, you know, I, I catch snakes. I love to catch snakes. There ain't no snakes in Alaska to catch. What am I going to do to keep from getting bored, Lord? I know how to hunt all these animals down here in Florida. I know how to catch fish. I'll preach down here. I'm comfortable with that, Lord. I'm going into juvenile detention centers uh, down here. I'll just keep doing that. And the Lord wouldn't let me alone. Lord, I'm comfortable going to the camp meetings and preaching. I'll just keep doing that. The Lord wouldn't leave me alone. I'm comfortable preaching revivals down here. No, that's not what God had for me. I had to surrender myself to Him for service. If I had to stay down there preaching in Florida, I've been preaching since I was 15. This year is 20 years that I've been preaching. I could preach till I'm 75 and preach 60 years in Florida and be out of God's will because I wasn't where He wanted me. What about you today? As a saved person, have you took a deep look in yourself and said, Lord, Am I where you want me physically? Is this where you want me serving you for the rest of my life? What about Brother Hoffmeister? Trinidad? Can you imagine going from Alaska to Trinidad? He surrendered to do that. What about you? If God said tomorrow, would you move to New York City or Paris, France, or some huge city in the world, London, and minister there, would you be willing to do that? That was one of my greatest fears, Pastor. God was going to call me to a huge, huge city, and I would be surrounded by people and buildings and never get to go out in the woods anymore. But when you surrender to God, He gives you the desires of your heart, and He can change those desires to match His will, and you'll be content and happy where He puts you. I'm happy in St. Mary's. The Lord's blessing us there. But only because I surrendered myself to the Savior for service. You can be in the middle of one of the best churches in the world and be miserable because that's not where God wants you. Let's move on as the Lord sees fit. Let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, and again, this is a writing of Paul, and he's writing to the church that's in Thessalonica, he's speaking to them, he's kind of going over uh, how the, that he, he, his first times there in, in Thessalonica, when he started seeing people get saved and started seeing the uh, saved ones discipled, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. We see a great truth here that a lot of saved people lose. 
They'll surrender their self to the Savior for service, but not their soul. They'll keep that back. I'll do what you want me to, Lord, but I'm not going to do it with my whole heart. I'm not going to put my uh, soul into this. There was a man earlier this year in Pitkiss Point. I'd been witnessing to him for quite a while, giving him a Bible, talked to him a lot. And I got a phone call from his, his wife on a Friday evening. Wills went out, and he's not come back yet. And we've been, he went out, it was uh, springtime, the snow's mostly melted on land, the ice hasn't broke up yet on the Yukon River, but it started to lift as the water gets higher, so there's open water along the sides of the river, and there's holes in the ice. There'll be standing water, sometimes three foot deep on top of the ice. And um, he had taken his snow machine. The, the geese and swans and waterfowl were migrating back, and uh, they go out. That's one of the ways that they get some fresh meat in the springtime. They shoot those. And he went out on his snow machine and skipped across the open water to the ice, went across the Yukon, skipped across that water on the other side, and went bird hunting down the slough. And they could call his cell phone, and it would ring. So he was within cell phone distance, but he would not answer, and it got dark. And they called me, and they said, Preacher, would you go look for him in the morning, please? Oh, we're scared something's happened. And uh, went... Got up early the next morning, and I looked down the direction. He said he'd be hunting, and got my binoculars out, and I saw a snow machine about three miles down the river on its side, and I knew it probably wouldn't be good. And uh, got on my snow machine. Another man from the village was with me, and we skipped across to the ice, got across the river, skipped across the open water, and sure enough, he had hit a log coming back that night, went airborne, hit the ground, and his body was tossed quite a distance, was killed on impact immediately. The man that was with me had just gotten saved, that went with me on this trip. He didn't want to go. And when we got there and he saw the body, he just broke down crying. He said, why did, why did I have to come? Why did this happen to me? And I was able to sit down with the gospel, the, the, the Bible, and go through the Bible. This is a man's job in this lifetime, especially a saved man. We're here to help others. And if we don't put our heart and our soul into it, they will know that we're a big fake. And we're a big phony. We're here to help this family in one of their hardest times. This is a man's job, a Christian man's job in this world, to put his heart and his soul into what he does for other people. And I was able to disciple that man right there for two hours while we waited on the troopers to come. That man, unbeknownst to me, had almost killed himself there, in that, like, hundred yards from there, about a year's previous. And that's when the Lord spoke to him and said, why don't you go see Brother Israel? And he got saved. I didn't want to go out there myself. It was... Nasty out there. There's holes in the river. There's open water everywhere. Why not let the rescue teams go do that? That's what they get paid for. Why not let the troopers go handle this? But they asked me to do it because they trusted me. You see, 
There are things that are going to come along in our life, especially dealing with lost people, that we're not always comfortable putting ourselves into that situation. And if we make excuses, if we back out when people need us the most as a Christian in their life that they're turning to for help in their darkest hours, they will know that your heart and your soul is not in what you say you are. You say you're a Christian, but you don't act like a Christian. The family asked me to perform the funeral service because um, the man was a Catholic, his wife is Russian Orthodox, none of the priests were flying out there. Uh, during the coronavirus, uh, the village was kind of locked down to non-residents. And it was a Russian Orthodox service. They had a big argument over whether his head was going to be east or west. The Catholics do it one way, the Russian Orthodox the other way. But it went on for 12 hours. And I've got a bad back. I could have made an excuse. I could have preached once. And then, okay, well, we're done. I'm going to go home. But they were there just sobbing their eyes out. No hope. Lost people. So the Lord said, stay. So I stayed. And I got to preach again. And then... About 12 hours later, finally, the man has been buried. The last shovel full of earth has been put on there. And the wife, uh, she wasn't allowed to talk until that last shovel full has been put on the grave. She rushed up. And I had just preached the last message that the Lord had put on my heart. She said, how did you know? I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. How did you know? You preached John 3.16. He just read that verse to us the morning before he went out. And said he wanted the family to believe in Christ and be, be saved. How did you know? You see, we don't know what effect we'll have until we put our heart and our soul into the ministry. There's a lost and dying world out here. And we sit in relative comfort in this country. We're not willing to go talk to that homeless person. We're not willing to go talk to someone who's a different race than us. We're not willing to travel to another country and take a mission trip for a vacation rather than go to Disneyland in California or Florida. We're not really putting our souls into what we say we are. We say we're Christians. We say, you know, I used to surrender my soul and myself to Satan for sin. Now I've surrendered my soul to the Savior for salvation. And I surrender myself to the Savior for service. But you've not surrendered your soul to the Savior for service. Your heart is not in what you say you are, a Christian. And we need to change that. This country, look at the shape it's in. What's going to change it? Doing away with the coronavirus restrictions? That's not going to change our country. Doing a prohibition on alcohol and drugs? That's not going to change our country. What will change our country is when we Christians... Start putting our soul into being a Christian and serving God. Praying and fasting and showing this lost and dying world that we really do mean what we preach from the pulpit. We don't just come to church and say one thing and then live another thing when we go home. We love people. Just like Jesus did. Just like He didn't take care of them just physically. He ministered to them spiritually. He wept and cried. Because his soul was affected. And yet, what do we do? We see a person, and I know homeless people, they, they can take advantage of you, but when's the last time you saw one and you said, man, that guy could use something to eat and gave him something to eat and then witnessed to him? 
When's the last time you did something like that? Is our heart really in what we say we are or not? The Lord knows our heart. He deals with our heart. Have we surrendered our soul to the Savior for service? Is our heart really in what we're doing for God? Or is it just a facade, our Christianity? Dear Lord, we thank you for this message. I I pray, dear Lord, that you'll help and bless the people here today. That If they're lost, that they'll get saved. Maybe the testimonies that I gave tonight, that they'll be moving on their hearts as the invitation's giving. And those that are saved here, dear Lord, that we'll take a look at ourselves. Are we serving you? Are we doing anything for you? And if so, are we doing it with the right motives? Because we want to. Out of a willing heart, serving you with our body, soul, and spirit, dear Lord. In your name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Pastor? Amen. That is something to certainly look at yourself. What has your heart? What is it you've given your heart for? When it comes to the things of the Lord, maybe the Lord has saved you. You recognize that. You made that decision of of coming to Christ for salvation. But make no mistake, the devil put a lot of things before you to steal that heart. What has your heart? Have you had that time in your life when you have surrendered to the Lord, saying, Lord, my life is yours. That that soul is surrendered. And then, make no mistake, just because that day might have happened, which is a good day. That's a good day. It doesn't mean it's permanent, does it? Now, there's things that can come along. There's probably a time when, when John Mark, when he, went, when he went on that missionary journey with Paul, that was ready to serve, but he went back. The good thing is, though, he got right, didn't he? If the Lord worked on your heart, we want you to come and pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed here. Anyone here say, Pastor McGovern, I am not certain. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. It's been bothering me. I don't know when I die, if, if heaven is my home or if I'm going to hell. I just don't know what's going to happen to me. I want you to pray for me. If that's you, would you raise your hand and let me see it here this morning? I see some small children, several small children. Anybody else? All right, Christian, if the Lord worked on your heart, why don't you come and pray? Father in heaven, bless his invitation. Work in hearts and lives, Lord. I pray this in Christ.